This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. A Utopia of Usurers by G. K. Chesterton. Section 8 Ought to be Hammered. But as long as we speak of it as a cloudy conclusion, come to by an anonymous club called Parliament, or a mass tribunal called the Cabinet, we shall never get such a wrong righted. Somebody is officially responsible for the unfairness, and that somebody ought to be hammered. The other example, less important but more ludicrous, is the silly boycott of Germans in England, extending even to German music. I do not believe for a moment that the English people feel any such insane fastidiousness. Are the English artists who practice the particularly English art of watercolour to be forbidden to use Prussian blue? Are all old ladies to shoot their Pomeranian dogs? But though England would laugh at this, she will get the credit of it, and will continue until we ask who the actual persons are who feel sure that we should shudder at a ballad of the Rhine. It is certain that we should find they are capitalists. It is very probable we should find they are foreigners. Some days ago the official council of the Independent Labour Party, or the Independent Council of the Official Labour Party, or the Independent and Official Council of the Labour Party, I have got quite nervous about these names and distinctions, but they all seem to say the same thing began their manifesto by saying it would be difficult to assign the degrees of responsibility which each nation had for the outbreak of the war. Afterwards a writer in the Christian Commonwealth, lamenting war in the name of labor, but in the language of my own romantic middle class, said that all the nations must share the responsibility for this great calamity of war. Now exactly as we go on talking like that, we shall have war after war and calamity after calamity until the crack of doom. It simply amounts to a promise of pardon to any person who will start a quarrel. It is an amnesty for assassins. The moment any man assaults any other man, he makes all the other men as bad as himself. He has only to stab and to vanish in a fog of forgetfulness. The real eagles of iron, the predatory empires, will be delighted with this doctrine. They will applaud the labor concert or committee or whatever it is called. They will willingly take all the crime with only a quarter of the conscience. They will be as ready to share the memory as they are to share the spoil. The powers will divide responsibility as calmly as they divided Poland. The whole loathsome load. But I still stubbornly and meekly submit my point that you cannot end war without asking who began it. If you think somebody else, not Germany, began it, then blame that somebody else. Do not blame everybody and nobody. Perhaps you think that a small sovereign people, fresh from two triumphant wars, ought to discrown itself before sunrise, because the nephew of a neighboring empire has been shot by his own subjects. Very well. Then blame Servia and to the extent of your influence you might be preventing small kingdoms being obstinate or even princes being shot. Perhaps you think the whole thing was a huge conspiracy of Russia, with France as a dupe and Serbia as a pretext. 
very well then blame russia and to the extent of your influence you may be preventing great empires from making radical excuses for a raid perhaps you think france wrong for feeling what you call revenge but i should call recovery of stolen goods perhaps you blame belgium for being sentimental about her frontier or england for being sentimental about her word if so blame them or whichever of them you think is to blame or again it is barely possible that you may think as i do that the whole loathsome load has been laid upon us by the monarchy which i have not named still less wasted time in abusing but if there be in europe a military state which has not the religion of russia yet has helped russia to tyrannize over the poles that state cares not for religion but for tyranny if there be a state in europe which has not the religion of the austrians but has helped austria to bully the servians that state cares not for belief but for bullying if there be in europe any people or principality which respects neither republics nor religions to which the political ideal of paris is as much a myth as the mystical idea of moscow then blame that and do more than blame in the healthy and highly theological words of robert blatchford drive it back to the hell from which it came crying over spilt blood but whatever you do do not blame everybody for what was certainly done by somebody it may be it is no good crying over spilt blood any more than over spilt milk but we do not find the culprit any more by spilling the milk over everybody or by daubing everybody with blood still less do we improve matters by watering the milk with our tears nor the blood either to say that everybody is responsible means that nobody is responsible if in the future we see russia annexing rutland as part of the old kingdom of muscovy if we see bavaria taking a sudden fancy to the bank of england or the king of the cannibal islands suddenly demanding a tribute of edible boys and girls from england and america we may be quite certain that the leader of the labor party will rise with a slight cough and say it would be a difficult task to apportion the blame between the various claims which revive the court jester i hope the government will not think just now about appointing a poet laureate i hardly think they can be altogether in the right mood the business just now before the country makes a very good detective story but as a national epic it is a little depressing jingo literature always weakens a nation but even healthy patriotic literature has its proper time and occasion for instance mr newbolt who has been suggested for the post is a very fine poet but i think his patriotic lyrics would just now rather jar upon a patriot we are rather too much concerned about our practical seamanship to feel quite confident that drake will return and drum them up the channel as he drummed them up long ago on the contrary we have an uncomfortable feeling that drake's ship might suddenly go to the bottom because the capitalists have made lloyd george abolish the plimsoll line one could not without being understood ironically adjure the two party teams today to play up play up and play the game or to love the game more than the prize 
and there is no national hero at this moment in the soldiering line unless perhaps it is major archer shee of whom anyone would be likely to say said millis said pro patria there is indeed one beautiful poem of mr nobolt's which may mingle faintly with one's thoughts in such times but that alas is to a very different tune i mean the one in which he echoes turner's conception of the old wooden ship vanishing with all the valiant memories of the english there's a far bell ringing at the setting of the sun and a phantom voice is singing of the great days done there's a far bell ringing and a phantom voice is singing of a fame forever clinging to the great days done for the sunset breezes shiver timere timere and she's fading down the river well well neither you know i know whether she's fading down the river or not it's quite enough for us to know as king alfred did that a great many pirates have landed on both banks of the thames praise and prophecy impossible at this moment that is the only kind of patriotic poem that could satisfy the emotions of a patriotic person but it certainly is not the sort of poem that is expected from a poet laureate either on the highest or the lowest theory of his office he is either a great minstrel singing the victories of a great king or he is a common court official like the groom of the powder closet in the first case his praises should be true in the second case they will nearly always be false but in either case he must praise and what there is for him to praise just now it would be precious hard to say and if there is no great hope of a real poet there is still less hope of a real prophet what newman called i think the prophetical office that is the institution of an inspired protest even against an inspired religion certainly would not do in modern england the court is not likely to keep a tame prophet in order to encourage him to be wild it is not likely to pay a man to say that wolves shall howl in downing street and vultures build their nests in buckingham palace so vast has been the progress of humanity that these two things are quite impossible we cannot have a great poet praising kings we cannot have a great prophet denouncing kings so i have to fall back on a third suggestion the field for a fool instead of reviving the court poet why not revive the court fool he is the only person who could do any good at this moment either to the royal or the judicial courts the present political situation is utterly unsuitable for the purposes of a great poet but it is particularly suitable for the purposes of a great buffoon the old jester was under certain privileges you could not resent the jokes of a fool just as you cannot resent the sermons of a curate now what the present government of england wants is neither serious praise nor serious denunciations what it wants is satire what it wants in other words is realism given with gusto when king louis the eleventh unexpectedly visited his enemy the duke of burgundy with a small escort the duke's gesture said he would give the king his fool's cap for he was the fool now and when the duke replied with dignity and suppose i treat him with all proper respect the fool answered then i will give it to you 
That is the kind of thing that somebody ought to be free to say now. But if you say it now, you will be fined a hundred pounds, at the least. Carson's Dilemma For the things that have been happening lately are not merely things that one could joke about. They are themselves truly and intrinsically jokes. I mean that there is a sort of epigram of unreason in the situation itself, as there was in the situation where there was jam yesterday and jam tomorrow, but never jam today. Take, for instance, the extraordinary case of Sir Edward Carson. The point is not whether we regard his attitude in Belfast as the defiance of a sincere and dogmatic rebel, or as the bluff of a party hack and mountebank. The point is not whether we regard his defence of the government at the Old Bailey as a chivalrous and reluctant duty done as an advocate or a friend, or as a mere case of a lawyer selling his soul for a fat brief. The point is that, whichever of the two actions we approve, and whichever of the four explanations we adopt, Sir Edward's position is still raving nonsense. On any argument he cannot escape from his dilemma. It may be argued that laws and customs should be obeyed, whatever our private feelings, and that it is an established custom to accept a brief in such a case. But then it is a somewhat more established custom to obey an act of Parliament and to keep the peace. It may be argued that extreme misgovernment justifies men in Ulster or elsewhere in refusing to obey the law, but then it would justify them even more in refusing to appear professionally in a law court. Etiquette cannot be at once so unimportant that Carson may shoot at the king's uniform, and yet so important that he must always be ready to put on his own. The government cannot be so disreputable that Carson need not lay down his gun, and yet so respectable that he is bound to put on his wig. Carson cannot at once be so fierce that he can kill in what he considers a good cause, and yet so meek that he must argue in what he considers a bad cause. Obedience or disobedience, conventional or unconventional, a solicitor's letter cannot be more sacred than the king's writ. A blue bag cannot be more rational than the British flag. The thing is rubbish, read any way, and the only difficulty is to get a joke good enough to express it. It is a case for the court jester. The fantasy of it could only be expressed by some huge ceremonial hoax. Carson ought to be crowned with the shamrocks and emeralds, and followed by green-clad minstrels of the clan Nagale, playing the wearing of the green. Belated chattiness by wireless. But all the recent events are like that. They are practical jokes. The jokes do not need to be made, they only need to be pointed out. You and I do not talk and act as the Isaac brothers talk and act by their own most favorable account of themselves. And even their account of themselves was by no means favorable. You and I do not talk of meeting our own born brother at a family function as if he were some infinitely distant cousin whom we only met at Christmas. You and I, when we suddenly feel inclined for a chat with the same brother about his dinner and the coal strike, do not generally select either wireless telegraphy or the Atlantic cable as the most obvious and economical channel for that outburst of belated chattiness. You and I do not talk, if it is proposed to start a railway between Catsville and Dogtown, as if the putting up of a station at Dogstown 
could have no kind of economic effect on the putting up of a station at Catsville. You and I do not think it candid to say that when we are at the one end of a telephone, we have no sort of connection with the other end. These things have got into the region of farce, and should be dealt with farcically, not even ferociously. A FOOL WHO SHALL BE FREE In the Roman Republic there was a tribune of the people whose person was inviolable like the ambassadors. There was much the same idea in Becket's attempt to remove the priest, who was then the popular champion, from the ordinary courts. We shall have no tribute, for we have no republic. We shall have no priest, for we have no religion. The best we deserve or can expect is a fool who shall be free and who shall deliver us with laughter. The End of Section 8